So, hey, uh, welcome back to Brothers from the 818. Um, just excited to be here with you for episode four. Um, you know, those of you who are following on YouTube or on podcasts, um, I just really want to uh, just take a moment to say thank you uh, for, uh, for checking us out and being online with us. Um, last week's episode was amazing. Uh, the the uh, population, uh, the, the female population was all over us, Caleb, with, uh, with Shauna being there. So um, that was amazing. I'm glad we got it. We were able to use your wife, or not use your wife, but have your wife as a guest on the show. And uh, her insight from being in the medical field was incredible. So make sure you send her a thank you for on both of our behalf. So how you doing, man? What's going on? I'm good, man. Um, watch how you uh, use my wife, man. Watch your words. Watch your mouth. Um, yeah, it's good. I, I'm good. I, I also noticed that we had um, some additional followers. And so uh, something that we plan to do is to continue to diversif diversify our, our guests. Uh, when we have guests, we want to make sure that our guests are... Um, bringing it the way that we try to bring it every week and uh, sharing what's good. And so uh, I'm glad that Shauna and what, what she had to share uh, resonated with other, uh, other people. Yeah, that, that's real. And I'm glad you said that because, you know, as the brothers from the 818, um, you know, we keep saying it. We've been, uh, we've been best friends for 37 years, man. And I think the, the secret to our friendship is we ain't never pulled no punches. You know, they ain't always been the best of days, um, but we always kept it real with each other. And I think that's added to the respect line that we have. And just, you know, uh, we, we've, been, we've been through it, through the good and bad and everything in between. And, um, and, and that's good. So, and that's the flow we try to bring to this show, that we're just going to be here and be real. And if, uh, if you ever wanted an insight into how two brothers just, you know, have conversation and get down about any topic there is, you know, welcome. Welcome to Brothers from the 818. So this is episode four, man. Um, man, it took a long time, but I'm glad we're here. Me too. Um, and I, I'm excited about our, our uh, this week's guest. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, without further ado, I want to uh, bring in this week's guest. Um, you know, I plan on living another 37 years. So one day I'll be able to say I've been knowing this brother for about that amount of time. But um, we want to bring on, and I'll, I'll let him introduce himself a little bit, and then we'll, we'll catch up with him. I want to bring on a good friend of mine. I've uh, been knowing him um, almost a year, I guess. It's coming up. Maybe, maybe it's even closer than six months. His name's Eric. Um, Eric is joining us from New Jersey, man. So um, as far as you can get, I don't know if it's as far as you can get from the 818, but, you know, he all the way on the other side of the country. Um, Eric, what's good, man? How you doing? What's going on? Joining you 818 to the 609. Wow. I didn't even know what it was 609. Okay. Yeah, reaching across the country, shaking hands. Um, yeah, it's, it's almost been a year since, since the wedding. Yeah. 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 So we met at uh, Eric's wedding. Um, funny fact, uh, uh, Caleb, uh, you know, you do the, you know how black weddings go. You got to throw the, uh, the garter. <laughs> and um, and I'm sitting there just chilling, you know, enjoying whatever I was sipping on or eating on. And my girl caught the garter, man. I was like, what are you doing? Why, why would you do that? And so um, naturally what follows that is, you know, the guy has to get up and then, no, 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 I'm sorry. My girl caught the flowers. 
That's mm -hmm. what it is. I misspoke. My girl caught the flowers. So now, you know, I had to uh, get up there and get in position to catch the, uh, the garter. Wink, wink. And, and of course I did. So, you know, we had that and, and that's how uh, me and Eric originally met. I was a guest at his wedding. So, so. Uh, and you're supposed to let that fall right to the floor, right next to you. You're supposed to look <laughs> at it like this. Mm -hmm. It was going to look down. But it was kind of like a known fact. It was going to land on him. It was going to catch it. <laughs> That's right. And her mama was watching. She was like, you better catch it, too. You better catch it. So, um, so that's all good. So um, we're glad to have you on the show today, Eric, on The Real. Thank you for being willing. And uh, why don't you tell, uh, tell our viewers a little bit about yourself, and uh, we'll jump right into it. All right. Uh, I'll do the quick rundown. Um, let me see. From Jersey, from Trenton, New Jersey. Morehouse man, prior officer vet in the United States military. Now I'm a firefighter. I'm a father of two, most recent, last week. And then the oldest, my son, he'll be seven next month. Um, I'm a creative mind, like to talk. We could, we could talk about anything. So let's get to it. All right. Hey, Eric, I got a couple questions, man. I got a couple questions. First of all, thank you for your service. I also served. So um, okay. what branch were you in? I was in the Coast Guard. Okay. Uh, how much time you, you served in the Coast Guard? Seven years total. Oh, wow. Was it, was it good? Was it, was it, is it something that you would recommend? For those that look like me and talk like me, no, <laughs> not recommended. I was... I think I feel like every situation is um is different. Every situation is different. I was in my freshman year of college. I'm paying for it. Couldn't afford to finish college. So um one of my best friends who went to Spelman, she's a Zeta, her one of her line sisters was like, Hey, I'm in this scholarship program. You should try to get in. I'm like, what is it for? She said it's for um it's a minority initiative. Well, excuse me, it's an initiative by the United States Coast Guard to try to get more, more minorities into the officer corps. And I was like, okay, well, whatever you just said, I apply. Um, and I happened to beat out like 300 other people for the scholarship. And all it did was when I graduated, um, while I was enlisted, while I was in school, because my whole job was to be in school, and then once I graduated, I had to go to um, officer candidate school. And then I spent my last five years as an officer. So it helped me out. It helped me finish because in my last two years in Atlanta, I was balling. Didn't have right. to worry about money. Right. Um, and it was a good experience. Uh, the job that I had, I was a Marine inspector. I was a vessel inspector. So I've inspected everything from trash barges on up to cruise ships. Um, I've got to meet people from around the world, barely speaking any type of English. Mm. Um, got to eat food from around the world. I love the job itself. My, my specialty, I loved itself. The politics, I hate it. Right. So, and it's not a world, really, it's not a world for us. Right, right. I respect that, man. I respect that. You know, um, I go to Jersey all the time. Actually, I got okay. family in Jersey uh, through marriage. And so okay. I'm in Orange. I'm in East Orange. Um, oh, Jersey. Right. I'm in Newark. And so um, 
her family uh, owns a, a restaurant, a Caribbean restaurant called Sunsplash on Main Street over there in, uh, in, um, in uh, Orange. That sounds so, real familiar. Yeah. And so, um, you know, um, I've been there. Um, but I'm a I'm I'm not an East Coast cat, man. I'm a West Coast cat, and so every time I'm over there, I feel I like out of place a little bit. Um, but I enjoy traveling East once at least once a year, just so I could uh, get out and uh, and see what's going on. I see you rocking that Knicks hat too, man. Nobody rocking. Hey, don't nope. Don't get it. Don't get it twisted. Okay. AI to the day I die. Seventy six affair to the day I die. Okay. All right. I, um, funny story, I have alopecia. So, um, I haven't had a spot in my head since high school, but because I wore fitteds and do-rags so much, I started collecting fitteds in high school. And anytime I went somewhere new, I would always get a fitted from that place. Wow. So by the time I graduated college, I had like, man, I had like 75 fitteds in my closet. All new era. So I mean I've I've shrunk I've minimized my collection, but I still have certain hats, and I got the COVID haircut right now, so I'm not going to embarrass the podcast. <laughs> so we're going to rock and fit it today. Right. But no, no, no. I have I have Puerto Rico. I have Minnesota. I have Philly, uh, San Francisco. I always throw people off. Okay. No, I was going to ask you if you were rocking anything West Coast, but you said uh, you, oh, you're yeah. probably rocking, you're probably rocking the, 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 Warriors, the Warriors. Yeah, well, I went to San Fran. I got to have to have my nephew send me a, um, a Lakers uh, fitted from last year when I got married. It was in L.A. So, yeah. But I just collect them. They, don't worry. I, I, the Knicks, been trash. Since before trash was trash, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's how I feel. <laughs> that's all right. Um, that's all right. Um, yeah, I, I don't have family in Jersey, but you know, I'm on the East Coast. I don't know, you know, once every other yeah. year or so for business purposes, and uh, I don't like going to the East Coast without going to Jersey. I, I hate New York, but I love me some Jersey, and, and I'll just go over there and just find a place to go kick it. I think. I'm from the Midwest, so uh, Jersey folks to me are like Chicago folks. They just down home, and you know, if they serving dinner and see you walking down the street, they might invite you in, and you better not say no. You know, it's just a real down home type environment. And so, um, and I told you after we met, man, I can't wait to get to Jersey because that's just one of my favorite spots, just to go hang out and chill. And people are like, you know, well, what's your favorite part of Jersey? Jersey. What do you like to do in Jersey? Do Jersey stuff. I mean, I really can't even get into the details because I just don't know. But I just know. Those folks cool who are asking, they, they know the geography of it. It's like North Jersey is dominated by New York. South Jersey is dominated by Philly. Mm. Sandwiched mm. in there. So it's, it, is two, it is two different dynamics in Jersey. And well, I'm in Central Jersey. So we get a little bit of both. But it. It, there's a different feel in North Jersey than it is in South Jersey. It's a different look completely too. Um, one is like North Jersey is uh, is more populated than South Jersey, so you have more suburbs in South Jersey than anything. Um, more, North Jersey is more industrial looking in comparison to South Jersey as well. 
Well, we're going to jump right into it. Um, out of respect for you and your COVID cut, I won't ask you to take off your hat, but it's, it's a good segue. Um, you're a first responder, brother. So as, as Caleb mentioned, one, thank you for your service in the military. Um, uh, Caleb's military and, and, you know, like I said, throughout our entire friendship, uh, or the majority of our friendship, he was enlisted. And so a lot of that time he was even deployed. So, you know, just knowing that somebody I'm so close to is serving our country is just giving me an extra reason to not only pray, but sleep better at night, knowing that there are people who are looking out. Um, so thank you for your service. Thank you for your service also as a firefighter, man, first responders. You know, you're that person that says when everybody's running out, I'm running in. You know, now that we're in this, you know, new dynamic, self-isolation, extra uh, mm -hmm. precautions and so forth, how is life for you as a first responder? Um, when it comes to, when it comes, when, it, when you're talking about Corona and as a first responder, it added a different level of um, self-awareness because now you're checking your health every day more than you were before. Um, as far as the job going out there, we're taking more precautions because uh, Trenton Fire Department, we do a lot of emergency response as well. We don't just only deal with fire and um, technical rescues. We also deal with the medical side as well. So anytime a medical call goes out for an ambulance, a call goes out for fire trucks as well in certain districts. Um, so we're taking as many precautions as possible. Um, even, even the EMS side of the house, they'll try to call us off if it sounds risky. Because at the end of the day, we're there to fight a fire. Can't lose all our workforce to people who's coughing and sneezing. Um, but it is it is a higher risk that's out there. And we're still running in there head first. Um, I actually had a fire, a big fire two weeks ago. Um, and even then, we had to take precautions. We're outside in our, our fire gear, but we're not inside the house or fighting a fire. We had to go talk to people and to go dress people. Then we had to mask up and things of that nature. So with that, you know, is, are you, do you find yourself less busy because, you know, people should be staying at home and the, the chance of things going wrong are less or is it more? How are, no, how's no, your schedule no, affected? No, 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 no. People shouldn't be in close proximity too long. Okay. More domestic violence, more overdoses. Uh oh my gosh. Um the amount of medical calls is going through the roof. The fire calls, they're about the same. People still pulling alarms, people still can't cook. So <laughs> we get to say I would say we get more calls because people are jammed inside together all day long right um I don't know why but it's like a sudden urge to just burn the house down with everybody in it I don't get it but it's there <laughs> I don't know why you would think people would chill out just turn the tv on relax you know but that's not how it goes um, you could do that for about a week, man. But you know, right. we, we've been at we've been doing it for a while, and so it's tough, man. It's tough right. to be, and you you know, you know, it's 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 tough to be um, 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 forced into um, 
your quarantine, forced to spend time with, um, with your family, right? right? You're forced to spend time with your family. We had a guest on uh, about two weeks ago, and he described it as um, his, uh, his mistress, right? Mm -hmm. And he said that um, people use work, people use their travel time to work as a mistress. Yeah. Just an escape to get away from, to get away from their normal in their household. And so when you're in there, when, when you're doing it for a week, uh, yeah, you can do it for a week. But, you know, uh, when, it, when it's boiled over into a couple weeks, a couple months, now, now you're talking about people really struggling, people dealing with their, with their, um, with their uh, mental health issues. Um, people dealing with their substance abuse issues, people dealing with their anger issues, as you said, domestic violence, you know, those calls have gone up. And so I find that, I find that interesting coming from, from hearing it from, from your perspective. Um, how do you, uh, what kind of PPE do you guys have? Uh, well, we got the bare minimum because that's what we can afford as the city. Um, a lot of people have band together and, made masks and made masks in which we can put our surgical mask into. Uh, but we usually just typically use surgical masks. We use our, um, our medical gloves. As far as the EMS runs, we have, if we know that we're going into a situation in which somebody has a respiratory issue or has been exposed, then we have um, goggles. We have the whole Kevlar, I mean, not Kevlar, the, uh, I forgot the name of the all white suit that we put on. The Tyvek suit. We have the Tyvek suits that we can put on. Um, but other than that, that's that's our PPE. Yeah. That's our PPE. And even that's risky because we're coming back. Let's say I, I do go in a house with somebody that's exposed. Mm -hmm. We're not, it's not like we're uh, issued any Lysol, any disinfectant to stand outside once we're done and then spray down. So that means we get on, we, we undress. We get on our trucks with whatever possible virus that we have on us. We get back to the, the house. And they, even though we take off all our PPE properly, if we don't use a Tyvek suit because we don't know that the person is exposed or the person is not doesn't have a respiratory issue, then we have it on our regular clothes. It's always a risk somewhere. If we're in a if we have a fire and we have to escort somebody into um what we call exposures, what we call the side, side houses. We have to escort them in the houses. We're in our fire gear. There's no fire in the house. There's nothing killing that virus. So now we have it on our gear. We're going to take it back to the firehouse. I, I got a, another question. Um, what extra precautions are you, um, are you taking at home since you said that? Are, are, you, are you changing into your your street clothes at the station before you go home or are there extra precautions that you take uh, because you have uh, you know a wife and, and and young children in the home right when i come home in the morning typically i spray my clothes I, I take them off downstairs at the door i spray them down and i just toss them in the washing machine um other than that because it's real cold and um for me to change at the firehouse I'm introducing other germs outside of just this virus. Um, one of the biggest issues and why I always, I was, I'm in the habit of changing my clothes at the door downstairs and I throw my stuff in the washing machines because 
we have one of the dirtiest jobs in the world. Um, the amount of carcinogens in our clothes when we're done, like after we fight a fire, it's amazing. So I make sure I don't introduce that to anybody else in the family. So I make sure I change downstairs near the door. And I can always go back and um, sweep and mop the floor and stuff like that. But I don't want to bring that upstairs. I don't want to bring that and put it on uh, the couches and what a furniture and bring it into the kitchen and things of that nature. So yeah, because of the nature of the job, I'm, I have a certain level of consciousness with my own hygiene, with my own clothes that I bring home, my uniform and stuff like that anyway. You know, it's interesting, Eric. I, um, I don't know if you know, but I'm in education. Mm -hmm. um, Caleb is in social, uh, social services. He's a social worker. Okay. Um, and uh, you mentioned earlier that um, your calls have increased, right? Because of, because of the COVID situation. Um, you know, similar in my job, um, I used to support X number of school sites. Now that uh, the, the children are at home, the students are at home, I now support the number of school sites for the number of children that we have. So it used to be 31, now it's like 27,031, right? And so it increases. Um, and even with Caleb, you know, we talked about, I think it was our first episode that, you know, the calls we're used to seeing children on a day-to-day -day basis because we're their outlet, we're their protection, we're the place they go where it's safe. And now with people being cooped in the house, we don't get those calls as regular. We don't see them as often. And so, like you said, the calls may increase and we're both kind of in a holding pattern. I think all three of us are just in that industry where, or a combination of industries where, um, unfortunately, the worst may be yet to come because right. we still haven't seen the outcome of what this looks like. Right now, we're still in the during. We're still in the middle. We're still dealing with how do I keep myself safe on a day-to-day -day basis? We haven't begun to experience and feel life after COVID, right? Or, or as we've even said, life in between COVID, because it's more than likely that this will be a season that will drop down and come back and drop down and come mm -hmm. back and so forth. So hopefully we get smarter um, as we go. Um, and, and then even, you know, your, your procedures that you have for coming home, again, right? You, you find that spot of here's where I need to do my thing and this is where I need to be to provide that separation of work and home and be able to do what I do and keep my family safe. So um, that, that's a lot of work, man. I, I know I know it can't be easy and it can't be comforting, but um, you know, I, I see it in your face. You, you do what you gotta do and, and you make it work, so. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so that's real. So, you know, um, I don't think Caleb does as much. Uh, I watch a lot of TV, or should I say TV watches a lot of me. I always got the TV going on as I'm doing other things and so forth. And, you know, we're in this world of reality TV and art imitates reality and so forth. And even just last night, I was watching that show 911. And okay. 911 has been branded, that's in LA, and it's been branched out to 911 Texas. Uh, Caleb and you and I were talking about Grey's Anatomy, and that's branched off to like Station 19 or Station 119 or 301 or whatever the numbers are. And America has developed a fascination with trauma, right? So much so that, you know, we like to look at it and see how bad is it going to get? 
as an actual person in the trauma field, being that you're a first responder, how do you feel about shows like that? Do you feel they sensationalize what you do? Do you feel like they don't touch it? Where, where, where are you at with those shows? Or do you have a thought? Absolutely. Uh, well, one, we're hooked on so-called reality shows anyway. Um, for me, there hasn't been a reality show since the original MTV shows back in the day. But um, I don't, I think people, I, I have, I don't know. I, I just, I know for, well, let me get my thoughts together. I know one thing, Trenton has, Trenton Fire Department and the EMS has a show um, following us, or they were following us for a couple of months. And they were um, featuring us in, I want to say, Jersey City or Patterson. Um, so they caught a, a couple good fires and they caught a couple great cases for the EMS side of it. I feel like on one side, on one aspect of it, it makes it real. So you get this, there's no movie magic involved with reality TV shows, cameras that are following actual first responders around. Um, people get to see how devastating it is to actually lose a house. It's not glorified. It's actually pretty sad when a house goes up on fire and people are outside screaming because all their possessions are inside the house. Not even talk about losing a life, just things you've accumulated over the years. You have awesome plaques behind you. Those are things you think about when a house goes up in flames. Even if this room isn't on fire, those are something that runs through your mind. Um, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a great thing. I mean, I, I guess in, in a way it, it, it gives exposure to the field as well. Cause you get to see how hard these guys and women really work. You get to see what they actually have to come in contact with, how hard the job actually is. It's not like, um, it's the movie backdraft where they kick in the door and they can see the flames. You can see to, straight to the back of the building. We're, kicking in doors and we can't see anything because you, all you see is smoke. Right. Now you got to feel for the fire. You're risking yourself. You're, you're putting yourself out there. And it, when people see it in real life, it's like, wow, I would never do that. Or I could never do that. Um, so I guess it does put that lens on it. Um, I don't really see it sensationalizing it too much. I mean, when they, when these shows come up, they're actually, on point with what they record, um, the action that they get. I guess they're doing a good job as far as that goes. But then you have actual TV shows that takes that and turns it into something else. I mean, they sensationalize the Chicago Fire. That's sensationalizing it, you know what I mean? Um, I think they're doing a, a decent job with it. It's not too bad, they're not really in the way. As a as a first responder, do you have like a go box at home? Like, you know, my my wife is paranoid, right? We both are, are military, and so right. we're we're. I feel like we're ready for whatever, right? And so we have a, a a go box of our essentials, right? Toilet paper is not essential, in my opinion, right? And so we have well, the things still- that we <laughs> that we, that we would need um, if. If everything um, everything in this house uh, was was uh, was was on fire, right? And so, do you have a go box? 
I do. I have a go box. I mean, I'm a my, I'm a first responder. My wife's an RN. So there's no way around that. We have a go box. We had a medical kit. Anything jumps off for the most part, we're ready for it. Um, but we do have the essentials that we can just grab and that's including important papers. Um, I don't think people realize what they consider important until things are on fire. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We consider these, these, these computers important. But when something's on fire, you're not going to be thinking about the computers. You're going to be thinking about social security cards, birth certificates. You're going to be right. thinking about um, W-2s. You're going to be thinking about maybe a couple of different uh, pictures that's up on the wall. Those are the things that you're going to be thinking about. So I feel like a lot of people should have these things in one place. So in case anything happens, they can just up, grab, and go. Right. That that is, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. That is a great idea. Instead of having things scattered all over the house. Well, I'm gonna, um, you know, I'm jealous. Both of you guys got go boxes. I want a go box. Um, I'm gonna have to do that, Caleb. When you said go bots, I was like, go bot. What what were we talking about Transformers for? What are you talking about? But you said go box. <laughs> um, and because um, yeah, I can tell you exactly where my important stuff is. But there's one thing here, there's one thing there, there's one thing, you know, over there. And depending upon the fire and where it breaks out, I might not be able to get to everything. So, um, uh, Eric, I'll let you know separately. But, Caleb, by the time we do this episode next week, I'm going to say, hey, by the way, I got a go box. I, I got well, it. And that's, that's my task for this week, to put all that stuff in one place to make sure I can grab and go if I need to. So, I appreciate that more than you guys realize. I mean, me and Caleb, we were... We were raised off the duffel bag mentality. Right. Right. So, I mean, we might have a full apartment, but at any given time, everything that we need to move out is going to be put in that duffel bag within 10 minutes. And then our book bag or our rucksack is going to be all important paperwork. So toiletries, clothes, maybe a couple of electronics, you can get them in there. And all the paperwork you need is going to be in that in that book bag. But for us, really, it's like a, it's like a go bag. One of us will have a book bag with the clothes. Another one has had a book bag with all the paperwork, money, whatever. And then we out. I like I like the thought of having a duffel bag full of money. I also uh, <laughs> I also like the thought of of uh, people trying to snatch their um, their 70 inch uh, television off the wall because they think that that's essential, right? And then they risking their lives for a 70 inch or for a, a pair of, of Jordans upstairs, um, knowing that the fire is is upstairs. Like, come on, man, you, you, could, you could get that. You get that you know, in the store. One thing I did learn about this job, one, it taught me to look at my city that I grew up in completely different. Like, I thought I knew my city. I didn't know anything. Because now I'm walking into people's houses, and now I'm seeing how people are living. Um, and I'm starting to realize a lot of people don't have renter's insurance. A lot of, I mean, I mean, homeowners, they have their insurance, but a lot of people that, are, that rent, they don't have renter's insurance. So when they lose their stuff, that's it. Yeah. They're not getting anything back. A lot of people are fighting for these items. And I mean, part of our job is to preserve people's property as much as we can. So if we're in a situation, I'll throw an example. It's a three-story house. The third floor is on fire. 
the first floor is untouched and it's clear there's no smoke we can see if there's pictures and stuff down there we'll try to grab everything toss it on the couch and cover it up with plastic because that whole floor is going to be soaked we might try to cover up a, a TV if we can with some plastic. You know, things that are valuable to people, we'll try our hardest to preserve them. But I do understand the mentality of some some people um, that are struggling. And you're trying to hold on to as many possessions as you can. So I can understand it. We do need to do better as far as getting $20 insurance a month for our property. But it is a struggle, and I do feel for a lot of people. You know, I, I got to, I was, you read my mind. I'm going to throw out, you know, three words and two words. One, if you own your home, homeowner's insurance kind of goes with the, with the process. Mm -hmm. But yeah, renter's insurance is, is, a, is an often overlooked thing. And, you know, having been on both sides of that scale, um, if it's something that I can purchase again, it's not important. And, and not that it has to be about the money, but definitely not grabbing anything that has a material cost that I can invest in again or what have you, um, because I know that there's an insurance policy behind it. Um, but even without the insurance policy, you know, you want to really be able to focus on those things that are essential. I hope that anyone who's watching this episode hears those words. And, you know, if you're, if you're by yourself or with your spouse or whoever it is, that you can have a sit down conversation and say, hey, let's. Let's target the things that are most important. And if you find out that, you know, your Jordans, your 70-inch flat screen, and your brand new computer is what's more important to you, I would almost suggest that you really check your, reality, check your priorities um, because um, those things can be replaced, right? And, but there are some pictures that are on a wall that you might want to get. And, and I've never thought of a first responder or even a fire department or anything like that looking at possessions in a house as how do we protect those? I looked at it in the overall. Yeah, your job is to make sure the house doesn't burn down, to protect the occupants, to put the fire out as quick as possible so it doesn't spread. But I'm kind of warmed over inside thinking that, you know, part of that eye is to go in and say, hey, let's grab these, let's do that, let's put it over, because you're right. If the fire's on the third floor, that first floor will get soaked and to put yourself in a position or put their stuff in a position to be to have a better chance of being pr protected you know it, it's going to end up being my my go-to but you know again hats off to you man that's just that's that's something that uh i had never even thought that was part of the process i mean it's not the top priority it's the last priority but yeah it's enough people on scene to go hey Go get some um some visqueen. Go get some plastic. Cover up those pictures. Take all those pictures in the living room and the dining room. Clearly, it means a lot to these people because they got the whole family up on the wall, or sitting up there in frames. Toss them on the middle of the table and put plastic over. That's right. It's That's it's, it's not hard to do, but it's it's something most people appreciate, and that's what we're there for. It's customer service. <laughs> at the root of it, it is customer at the, service. At customer service. Yeah. So hey, let's let's transition just a little bit. Um, so I got a couple buddies that are fire department that are in the uh, fire department out here, and you know I think they're on like a three days on, four days off, or four days on, four uh, three days off schedule. Is it is it similar in 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 Trenton? Is it that you go in for your uh, ninety six hours and then you have the next seventy two hours off? How does that work out for you? Jesus, ninety six hours of looking at the same ugly faces. 
Oh no. COVID oh. all over again. No, man, you say Wait, that. Exactly. People are living that life right now. No, I got lucky. Okay. I got lucky. One of the selling points for the, for this job for me was the amount of time that I have to myself. That's one thing the military taught me, especially being an officer. I didn't own my time. Mm. So as being an officer, at one point I was in charge of 100 people. Even on my off time, I'm getting calls. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm on leave. I'm on a, I'm I'm in Florida somewhere. I'm getting calls. No, 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 no. This, this is not going to work like that. This job said the, the, the new tours, well, the way they have it set up in contract is 24 hours on, 72 hours off. Wow. I work eight days a month. Ten with overtime, maybe. Wow. So, yeah. Um, and Jersey is the highest paid in the world when it comes to firefighting. So that sucks that they work two and three days at a time. I mean, I get it. They're off pretty much almost a whole week, but I don't – I need a breakup in between there. I need a break. Hey, Caleb, how old do you uh, – what's the maximum age before you can join the fire department? He works <laughs> – I, I don't know if there's a I work eight days this week. Military. I know for us it's like 36. 36 <laughs> years old. That sounds like the military cutoff. You know, um, that's uh, that's that's pretty sweet. I I would think that's pretty sweet for, you know, someone that has a young children running around, uh, to be able to spend that kind of quality time. I I can only imagine that you are spent after some of those twenty four hour shifts, and you need a day to recover. Absolutely. Um, so, um, but you know, having a couple days, having a couple days, you know, you work and then your bags are packed and. and and you ready to you ready to hit hit the uh, hit the airport? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of guys on the job that, I mean, we work 24 hour shifts, seven in the morning to seven in the morning. There's guys that will have flights booked for nine o'clock the next day, hmm. and they get off and they're running to the airport. And then if you take if you think about it, they might take one day off. They might take the next tour off. If you take the next tour off, that's like a week that you're gone. You just took one day off, and you're gone for a whole week. So for us, it's beautiful. The time that was, like I said, that was the major factor. I had a, um, when I got out of the military in 2015, I knew what was the military showed me what, what was most important to me, and that was my time. Um, and my time with my son, more specifically. Um, so. When they told me it was 24 hours on, 72 off, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Absolutely. I'm going for this. Now I can do pop-up visits with him at school. Now I can get more involved with him after school as far as sitting down. All right, let's do our homework. We're done with homework. I got some extra work for you. Um, love to get involved like that. So that's what I did. And now I'm able to do those things. Um, it gives me time for myself. Just, I don't want to come, I don't want to do anything when I come home type days. And I can do that now. It is beautiful. Dave, we're too old. And, um, I don't know <laughs> if I could pass the test, man. I take the fire, I've took the fire department test, um, having to, uh, carry that, that tank uh, and that, that, uh, that, um, uh, the hose up, up the, up the stairs. I passed it, but that was that was many. Oh, yeah, you had the thirteen flight thing. Yeah, bag. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's rough. That test is a little – my adrenaline took me over the edge on that test. Once the adrenaline calmed down, it's like, what, what did you just do? <laughs> I ventilated a little bit. It's like, what did you just do? And this is after boot camp and OCS. This is like, what do you – I was, I, I was 31 when I took the test. No, I was 30 when I took the test. My body was done. It was like, look, you – you. I don't know if you're really built for this anymore. You, you, those days are done. But, no, it's – uh. Physically, it is the most challenging job I've ever encountered. Um, I would definitely put going through the academy for a fire for the fire department up against any boot camp. Um, just the gear that we wear is a very physically demanding job. When people think, I think the hardest thing, and when people look at firefighters, they need to look at high rises and realize that uh, if those elevators shut down, we're the ones running up those flights of stairs and 50 pounds of gear with 75 pounds of holes over our shoulder and doing it in no time. I ain't seen some dudes out of shape knock them out like it's nothing. They be half dead when they get up there, but they fight. <laughs> they'll fight that fire. <laughs> Well, you know, man, I said I was jealous about the go box. You can have all that extracurricular, though. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. I work in an office. I got a staff. You know, I got windows. Um, but, you know, I'm good. <laughs> you know what the cool thing is, though? Uh, the coolest part about the job, I go into work. When I get to work, as long as you ain't got no beef with nobody, you're straight. But it's literally a frat house. It's like a bunch of guys who didn't go to college or wasn't in the military to get that camaraderie. And when most people join the military, they're joining real young. So those barracks is, is wild. The barracks are wild, just like college dorms were. You know what I mean? So that's how, the, that's how the firehouse is treated. It's like a giant frat house in which occasionally the alarm goes off. You go out there, you do what you got to do. And in most cases, it's false alarms. So you come back and you continue doing what you was doing. I mean, the PlayStations, the Xboxes might be set up. TVs are set up with the fire sticks, movies. You always got the designated cookers. It's nothing but jokes all day long. Sometimes you're just like, yo, just leave me alone because I don't want to hear another joke from anybody. You know, past a certain time, you jump in the bed when you want to. So it's, it's actually... That aspect of it is is pretty fun. I never thought I would have a job in which I can roll up in there as soon as I get to work, start talking trash to my supervisor and then my peers, and then sit down and we go over and do some training. And then after training, we back to talking trash and having fun and BS and doing whatever, having the barbers roll up in there and give me a haircut, having local <laughs> local restaurants come through, give us food. The kids just stop by. We have book stations at every firehouse because they're, they're public places. Anybody can come in. We have one designated bathroom just for the public. People come in of all types and walks on the face of the earth into these firehouses all the time. That's what's In fact, my firehouse is right next door to a strip club. It's closed, but it's there. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second. When this used to be open... Yeah, we used to just sit outside and just wait for it around two o'clock. When everybody get out, you know what was going to happen. I was like, "Wow, okay, wow. yeah, it's very interesting. It's very interesting." 
<laughs> lifestyle. There's a lot of young cats that's gonna try to uh, sign up to be firefighters. I'm oh, you, know. make it, you make it. You make it sound like it's a. Uh, it's it's a rewarding uh, career path, um, but there sounds like there's a lot of fun going on. It's a, it's fun. You get the excitement. You get the adrenaline rush. Um, like I said, it's camaraderie. Uh, it's a military vibe. It is a military field, just like joining the police. It's a military field because they're pseudo-military factions. They're designed and based after what we were taught when we jumped in the military. Um, the structure is there. Everything. Everything about it. On top of it, it's a, even if you decided to be a firefighter, as let's say a kid decided at 18 he wanted to be a firefighter, so he joined and he was a firefighter for five or six years. That looks amazing on a resume. That looks amazing for the simple fact that, by law, we are the only people on the, in the United States that can walk up into somebody's house in, in our respected cities that we work for legally. I, we can, the cops call us to open up doors because we can legally do it. They can't, but we can. So just because the level of trust that has been given to us, if a person put that on their resume that they were a firefighter, even if they're a volunteer firefighter, it looks amazing. So whoever's watching this, make sure you take notes of that. I wouldn't do volunteer firefighting. <laughs> but it looks great. Well, brother Eric, you make it sound, you know, not only you're very fair about it, the, the danger is there, but the excitement is there and there's rewards as well. And I, and I like how you put it, it's customer service to the nth degree. You're really there to serve your community. Um, so we appreciate you, brother. And um, like I said before, we just want to celebrate that first responder side of you. Um, and, and that's part of our conversation. We just want to, uh, you know, let people know, hey, there's, there's people out there that look like you, that look like us, um, or whatever they look like, um, that are out on that front line. And most of us have no idea what the front line looks like. We go and do our day, day in and day out. And, and um, sometimes that creates a sense of entitlement or you deserve something or whatever. But a lot of what we're allowed to do and the peace that we have and the comfort that we enjoy is because of people um, like you. So we appreciate that, man, your, your first response, being a first responder and uh, the dedication and, and energy you put into that. And thank you for sharing that with us as well. That's powerful. So um, I do want to um, jump into a couple things. We try to keep this show to about an hour. Um, and so we're, we got probably uh, 10, 12 minutes left. Um, we just passed Mother's Day mm -hmm. and you know, um, Caleb's a father, you're a father, I'm a father. And, you know, honestly, and I'm sure you guys will agree, of all the things that I do, of all the things that I say I pass my time or make a living at or whatever the scenario is, my absolute favorite job in the world is being a dad. You guys can, can vibe with that? Yes. Um, there's, there's nothing like the responsibilities. There's nothing like the headache. There's nothing like the joy. There's nothing like uh, seeing a little you or little pieces of you doing things that you used to do. Um, there's nothing like the excitement of knowing that one day your kid's gonna make the mistake you did. And hopefully you, if your parents responded appropriately, hopefully you can be as good as they were. Or if you feel that they didn't handle that one so well, maybe you can do a little better. Um, but as good of, as much of a father as, as I love being, um, I salute moms, I really do. And I think moms 
have a very challenging job, much more so, but different than a father. And, and you know, the debate of that can go both ways. But being that we just passed Mother's Day, I want to take a moment before we get into the next uh, segment and just, uh, you know, say thank you to all you moms out there. Uh, we don't have any women on the show this week, but I really want to say thank you. I really want to say you are, are worthy of honor. And, and I pray that uh, whatever your Sunday was like, I hope you just got some time to be and feel the appreciation from those around you. Um, so um, you guys want to say anything on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, um, I echo everything that you said. You know, my, my, my mother's day started on Saturday. Um, 10 years ago, my mother passed away. And so um, we honored her by going to her gravesite and um, just um, spending some time there trying to clean up the gravesite a little bit. And then, um, and I was with my wife and I was with my, with my wife and my children. And so um, the next day, um, I was very intentional, wanted to give her just some time, just some time. I think because of, uh, of COVID, because we all are, are kind of cramped in, um, we don't get enough time away. And so um, after breakfast, I went ahead and took the kids out the house for a couple hours. Um, I'm, I, I can't even tell you what I did. I think I, I, I sat in a, in a Starbucks drive-through for about 45 minutes. Uh, we went to the park, we drove around. I was just trying to buy some time for her, right? I was by, trying to buy some time out of the house so she could have some time to do whatever, the, whatever she wanted to do. Um, and then later that day, um, put some, put some, um, put some, um, some meat on the, on the grill and barbecued a little bit and just kind of, this was the strangest Mother's Day um, that, that we've had, um, but it was nice because I, it was very intentional. I was trying to buy some time for her. You chose wisely. Um, Eric, so tell us about your Mother's Day first, and then I want to jump into something else real quick before we close out. Deuterona Rona 19, Mother's Day this year was really different. I mean, this one reason it was really different. Another reason was because my daughter was born last Tuesday at 12.15 p.m., making my wife a new mommy. So, uh, one, we're stuck inside because of the baby, but we're also stuck inside because of uh, the coronavirus. And... My Mother's Day was spending time on the phone, giving salutes to all the women that have raised kids on their own, all the women that have helped raise me as a village. But a lot of attention was given to my wife and a new baby. Um, so I got her a couple things I knew that she wanted, and we just kicked it at home. And this is the only Mother's Day in which, one, I didn't see my mom. And the only Mother's Day in which I was just in one room all day long <laughs> with my wife, making her, essentially made her a, a new mom. And it was very, very interesting. It's different from Mother's Day. I'm not used to it, but it was fun. Good. Good. Yeah, I think it's important as men, as husbands, as fathers, that, you know, we not only celebrate the women in our lives, but we show um, our children how to celebrate them. You know, your sons are going to learn how to love women based on how you love their mom. 
um, your daughters are going to learn how to be loved by based on how you love their mom um, and how you love them. Um, uh, so you said last Tuesday at 12.15, was my mm -hmm. right? Yes. So that's, that's a little bit after 9 a.m. Uh, for us. I remember getting a call that Tuesday morning and, you know, or a text, hey, Britt had the baby. And I was like, oh, sweet, that's, that's cool. And I, I, I shot you a text and said, hey, congratulations. You shot one back. I was shocked. I was like, he's going to be busy. He's not going to be able to get at me. And I said, um, hey, send me a picture before she gets one so I can, you know, show her that, bros, we stick together like that, you know. And so I said, you got me the picture, beautiful baby, by the way. Um, and uh, I sent it over to my girl and I said, you know, hey, here's a picture. She was like, what? You got a picture before me and blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah. And so she's like, well, you know, what was the weight? What was the length? I was like, we're guys. We don't talk about stuff like that. I didn't even ask. I didn't even care. Did they have 10 toes and 10 fingers? We was good. Right. All that. So an hour later, she said, uh, so you got the picture, huh? I said, yeah. And I said, I got the picture before you. She said, but did you get the story? And I was like, you had a baby. I mean, what's the story to tell? So, um, Tell your story, brother. Tell you tell tell our viewers your story. I can't wait to hear this because I haven't heard it. I know the story, oh, but I haven't okay. heard it. So tell us okay. the story. Um, well, me and my wife have both decided that the middle ground for us is that we're going to have a baby in the birthing center. She wants to. She always wanted to have a baby at home. I'm like, what if something goes terribly wrong? So let's be in a hospital. So the middle ground is the birthing center. Uh, we have a midwife at the birthing center which is also connected to a hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, and she's going through labor pain starting at probably like four o'clock in the morning. Um, I clocked the whole thing at like seven hours, and 33 minutes. Cause I was timing contractions on my phone. So I knew when she was getting closer and closer to that point. Uh, pretty much. So I'm, I'm a speed. I'm a, I'm a fast forward through this. Her water broke at 11. So she's like, okay, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to get in the water. I'm going to get in the bathtub and try to calm down and, you know, lessen these contractions, lessen the pain from the contractions. So she gets in the bathtub. She knows what to do because my wife is a doula. Also in uh, grad school to get her, well, get her, excuse me, say master's, how disrespectful, get her doctorate in midwifery. So she knows all the moves. She knows all the techniques. She knows what to do. So she gets on the floor in the bathroom. She starts doing exercises. The pain sounds like it's increasing. So I call the midwife. The midwife asks me, what's the contractions? I said, well, they're at five minutes, every five minutes. And they last for about a minute. She said, all right, well, you can, y'all can start to come on in. That meets the requirement. Well, the requirement is every three minutes for them to come in. So this way we're not in the hospital for like 24 hours. We're there for a couple hours. You had a baby and you're gone. Um, so she's, I let my wife know, hang up the phone. I'm like, all right, babe, I'm about to go get some clothes. I go in the bedroom. I come back with my sweats so she could put them on. And she's like, no, I'm not putting on the sweats. At this point, she's sitting on the toilet. Okay. I said, all right, well, I'm going to go get you a dress, and then I'm going to go get the car. And then she was like, no, don't leave me. Okay. I'm like, all right. She asked me if I could see that baby's head. I said, there's nothing between your legs. She felt herself. She said, I can feel her head. 
I looked at her like she was crazy. She yelled one time before that when she said she could feel the head. Then she yelled again, and I looked down, and I was like, oh, that's a head. I went straight into first responder mode, took the ring off, washed my hands because there was no gloves in sight, washed my hands real good, got the olive oil so we could grease up the highway, as they call it. Had to position her right on the toilet so the baby's not going down into the toilet. And then she yelled one more time, and Zori Camille popped out. Wow. So, and that was all within 10 minutes of, not even, it was nine minutes within talking to the midwife. And the midwife saying, oh, you should start, you're going to be here, you're going to be getting closer, so you should start making your way up. And my wife going, no, we're going to have the baby right now. That's what we're going to do. So you never deliver a baby before before this? No, I we're prepped as firefighters because firefighters do it every year. It happens every year. I have one captain that's like I've delivered at least six or seven babies. Um, so it's never happened to me. Uh, I missed my first. I missed my son's delivery because I was stationed in Louisiana and his mom was in New Jersey, and I didn't get there until twelve hours later. So it really hurt my feelings. So I wanted to be involved in this delivery badly. Never thought it was actually going to be at home. Oh, you were involved, all right. You were right. involved. <laughs> like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> like Randy Moss. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I, I have three children and I, I was at the birth for all of them. Um, the first one, I was on the right leg. The nurse was on the left because we couldn't find the doctor. And we kind <laughs> of caught him as he came out. Right. But, um, uh, you delivered your own baby at home, man. That's a, that's a story that I can't share. I can't tell. That, that's not my story. And uh, I can't wait for your daughter to get older so you can tell her about it. And I can just. And she was born on Cinco de Mayo to two parents who drink. I already started telling my friends. I'm like, look, you already know I'm planning her 21st birthday right now, right? You're going to shut down five bars. And we're going to have a bar crawl. It's going to be a margarita crawl 21 years from now. My wife and I, we were planning to do a, a home birth as well. We had a midwife, we had a doula, we, we looked at birthing centers and, and my, my wife is a physician assistant. And so okay. um, um, she started talking about home births. I was like, come on, man, what you talking about? You know, people our color don't, don't do no home births, man, what are you talking about? And so um, went and did the classes, man. Um, we, we were, um, we were at, in uh, studying uh, hypno babies, where yeah. um, where the mothers and the fathers are hypnotizing, or the where the mother is self hypnotizing, and the the father is is, is supporting um, that in that process. And so um, that was the plan. And thank God it didn't work out that way. Thank <laughs> God it didn't work out that way because I was, I mean, I. I sat through, I was taking notes, man. I was scribbling and, and, and taking mental notes, but I was really questioning like, how, how am I gonna do this if we're not able to get that, that doula here? If the midwife is not here, um, I don't want to deliver this baby. I do not want to try to figure it out on, on the fly. And right. so my hat is off to you. I, I, I actually found a hat here, um, <laughs> I, I put a hat on. Um, my hat's off to you. Uh, still in um, David's, uh, David's uh, hat toss. Um, 
but man, my hat's off to you, man. And congratulations to that beautiful baby. Thank you. You know what? I mean, I was nervous the whole time, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I mean, she came really fast, too. Like, extremely fast. But it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Most of it was me being uncomfortable with my wife's moans and groans and yells. You know, and she was just saying, she broke it down to me. She was like, it's like being on a roller coaster. Like, the pain isn't really that bad. It wasn't up until the last two minutes. Uh, but she was like, the contraction pain, pains aren't really that bad. It's just that the moan or the grunt makes everything feel better. So I mm -hmm. just had to get used to that. But, um, yeah, it was definitely a hell of an experience. Are you recording, like, the um, the time of birth? How does that work? And now that you had the baby at the house, uh, no oh, one's yeah, there to witness as soon as she came out, I already had my phone out. So as soon as she came out, I just tapped it just to see the time of birth. Um, I recorded the contractions on the stopwatch on my phone and stuff like that. I, yeah, everything. The only thing that was messed up is that on a birth certificate, it won't say New Brunswick. It won't say where the birthing center was. It will say where the baby was actually born. So that, that delayed the birth certificate. They said like, it would probably delay it like a day. Other than that, um, they approve everything that you say for the most part. I called, as soon as the baby was born, I called EMS um, and people who I work with daily, which was the weirdest part, were in my house, <laughs> looking at my uh, wife on the floor. So that was weird. But at the same time, um, we, got a, we got a ride 30 minutes away to the birthing center um, and the ambulance, which is really cool. They helped us out. They looked us up there but um yeah nothing nothing really i mean everything else that they do in the hospital we did there we, i cut the cord in my bathroom because um emts know what they're doing so they set everything up for me to do that um uh, wipe the baby off we checked her vitals and all all that good stuff both of them were very healthy uh and i was able to actually sound professional on the phone when I'm giving these vitals is I'm calling 911 dispatch. And dispatch was like, you sound familiar. Are you an EMT? You know a lot of stuff. And I'm like, no, I work at engine, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, you're a firefighter. Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. But it was really cool. It was a really cool experience. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that story, brother. That's, that's amazing. Um, Unless uh, one of my sons marries uh, a, a young woman who uh, I end up stuck with right as she's giving birth, that's probably something that will never happen for me. So I'm going to live vicariously through your story. And, you know, I think uh, similar to Caleb, I, I think the planning of it, the thought of having to do it is probably much more intense than getting it done. I think we've all been in scenarios where I'm the one, I got to do this, whatever it is, whether, you know, and there's any example you could come up with where you were the one that was at the front when this situation had to happen. Had you put some thought and planning into it, you would have not been there. But since you were, you did what you had to do. Um, and I think that's kind of your story, but you didn't deliver your friend's baby. You weren't at the grocery store and somebody went into labor. You right. actually delivered your daughter. And I think that's beautiful. And I think that's a a bond that you guys will share forever. And um, I think it's just a special moment. So I'm glad you were able to come and share that with us today. Man. Thank you. Absolutely.
And to what Caleb was saying about um, the birthing center and delivering at home, my wife is heavy into this, and there's actually a movement going on. But it's a whole lot safer for the mother, most importantly, to deliver that baby that's not in the hospital. The hospitals are not the most sanitary. The, the customer service in the hospital, a lot of times, is really bad. It's a lot of, um, it's like, a, I'm trying to see, I'm, the analogy was given to me is like essentially going to McDonald's when you go to the hospital. Everything is rushed, like you're rushed through, you're pushed through, you're pushed through, and they're on top of you a lot of the times too. Um, it causes the baby more stress and causes the wife more stress, but most importantly, mortality rates in hospitals are higher than they are in birthing centers and at home, especially when you have a midwife or you have a doula there. Things are a lot calmer. You're in your environment. On top of it, things like you have 911 in case any emergencies happen. They can get you there for any emergency surgeries, anything like that. But there's a lot of horror stories in hospitals and how women women are treated and how yeah how women are treated before they give birth after they give birth so i think there's a is a movement going to where i'm not going to be the only dude delivering his baby at home <laughs> in the next 10 years you're going to start hearing more stories like mine popping up watch yeah i just don't think that uh, enough people enough parents have that conversation and so when i started having a conversation with my wife um she said women been having babies from the beginning of time you know and so before there were hospitals before there was you know um um sterile sterile environments women have been having babies and most often it was where they live and there was the lady next door that had the baby that helped help the help one lady and then when the other woman's pregnant the lady next door comes and returns the favor and so that's how it's happened for many years and so it was a it was a great education for me um but i'm glad i didn't have to do it <laughs> right i understand trust me i understand i just faced one of my fears in life i understand right it's also a sign of the times um you know as you said um eric there's a movement where women are realizing that, yeah, the mortality rates in hospitals are higher. We can do this. As you said, Kayla, women have been having babies since the beginning of time. Um, you know, when my oldest was born, you went to a hospital to have a baby. And, and anyone who was talking about a doula, that was that hippie crowd. That was, a, you know, the earth, the tree huggers and so forth. That wasn't modern mainstream America. And, and even with, I mean, I have teenagers at home. So even then, you know, 14, 15 years ago, it wasn't as mainstream as it is now. And so I think you're right. I think as time uh, moves on, we're gonna see a lot more situations like yours and a lot more fathers um, stepping up uh, and, and truly, I, I, I wanna say that being part of that experience brings you that much closer to being a better father. And, and I don't mean any disrespect to fathers who aren't in that situation, I just think, having that opportunity to deliver your own child i think would just if nothing else you have that and that just seems to be that one other point 
that would say, you know, this is it's me and you for life, kid. I got you, no matter what. And and Caleb, you said that with your children. I said that with my children. Eric, you weren't there for the birth of your son, but I've seen you and your son. There's nothing you wouldn't do for that boy. So it's not it's not that you need to have that to have that connection. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying I'm just cherish that man. That's a that's something that a lot of people today, especially people you know, probably can't say. Right. And as time moves on, we're going to know more people like that. But that's a beautiful moment. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. So um, thank you. Having said that, um, we're a little bit over, um, but but that's good. Um, Eric, final thoughts, man. We, we really appreciate you being here. Um, got any uh, final thoughts, any shout outs you want to give, anything you want to say to your people or what? the floor is yours? OK. Uh... Final thoughts, we need to have more conversations like this. Brothers need to get on here and have more conversations together. I love conversations like this. Um, even though my daughter is getting all the attention, I love my son. That is the little dude. These two look like twins as babies. I'll send the pictures out of them both at three days old. It's, it's bananas how close they look like. Um, final thoughts. Uh, <clears throat> I don't just try to be safe. Try to stay safe out here. People need to read more. That's the final thought. That's random, but we need to read more. <laughs> we need to read more, okay? And stop believing everything we see on social media. Um, no, I, I don't. That's that's it. That is it. That's all I can think of right now. Uh, I got a final thought. Um, and, and Eric, thank you again, man. I no appreciate problem. it. Thank you for your service. Thank you for uh, sharing. Um, my thought is, how cool is it that three brothers are are um, just chopping it up, man? And we spent I don't know ten, fifteen minutes talking about doulas and 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 women giving. Right. Men. I think that's really cool. And like and like Eric said, man, people need to read more. Um, the uh, birthing center and the whole hypno babies was an education for me, and I think that. Um, um, more men need to um, open themselves up to the possibility of, of engaging in discussions. Um, and what better way to honor, I know Mother's Day just passed, but honor moms by just um, breathing more life into the significance of that relationship, right? Um, and so I think that's powerful. Um, thank you guys, man. I, I, I really enjoyed this discussion. Um. I don't have a final thought. I think what you guys said is uh, is <laughs> amazing. I love to read more. Um, I'm in school, so that's all I do is read. I, I really want to say read less, but you know, <laughs> um, but no, I definitely feel that. And Caleb, I agree with you. Um, to be men, I don't think there's more uh, powerful discussion that we can have to just lay it out on the table, lay it out on the table um, in full uh, humility and say, hey, this is what we are. Um, earlier tonight, I, I told my youngest son, perhaps the greatest gift you can give your wife, and he's, he's 13, um, the greatest gift you can give the wife, your wife is your undying love, affection, and attention, you know, so that every day she wakes up knowing that there is none greater than her in your eyes. And um, if you can do that, you know, more success to you, brother, because that's, that's what it is. So, um, Eric, we do this um, every Tuesday night. Um, uh, I welcome... Uh, you to join us if the if the conversation suits it, uh, and I'll keep you posted on the different things that we'll be talking about. 
Um, we are the brothers from the 818. I've been looking forward to saying this. You can follow us on Twitter um, at 818 Brothers. For some reason, Brothers from the 818 wasn't available. And on Instagram at Brothers from the 818. Um, glad to put that out there. Um, we're not trying to be uh, social media famous or anything like that. We just want to give people an insight into uh, the mind of men. You know, there's all these thoughts out there. There's all this negativity as far as Corona and what's happening here and what's happening there. But this is an opportunity for just men to get together and, and women, honestly, we've had women on the show um, to, um, to just share in their thoughts and uh, share some wisdom, share some knowledge. So Eric, thank you for being part of uh, that for us this evening. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. It's a great conversation. Glad you invited me. Absolutely. On that note, um, Brothers from the 818, we're signing off and we will see you guys uh, next week. Y'all take it easy.